Like I said, hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I know that I did. I was thinking about this the other day. The Christmas diet, for me at least, I don't know if you can resonate with this, the Christmas diet is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a seriously wonderful thing but it is not something that can be sustained year long. If I ate every week like I did this past week, I would be in serious trouble. I mean like cookies for breakfast every morning, like eating out, going out with my parents, like doing this, doing that. It was a disaster for my body, but it was like good for my soul. Everyone know what I'm talking about? You need a week like that every once in a while. And it's a good time to be talking about that too because we're heading into 2020. We're all thinking about all those goals that we're going to set, but probably not really work that hard to actually go after and achieve. We're heading into, like I said, a new year. There's something weird about the new year where we feel like that's the time, right? That's the time when 2020 rolls around, when the new year rolls around, that's gonna be my day. I'm gonna set that goal. I'm gonna go after that thing that I've been kind of envisioning in my mind. I'm gonna start that diet, but we all obviously know how that all works. You get about a month in, maybe a week in for some of you. You kind of go, mm, maybe 2021. Maybe 2021, we'll start looking at some of those things again. Um, and there's something weird about it. It's not like you don't think like the following week. It's like, ah, I kind of fell off the wagon this week with the diet, but whatever, we'll get back on it next week. We think like uh, the new year is the time to make those resolutions. I think that's kind of a funny thing. Now today, here's what I wanna do. I wanna tell a story a little bit from the Bible that I think has some, some interesting ways that uh, it can speak to that, the idea of a new year's resolution um, or a decision or an action that we wanna take. Um, but today, here's what I want to do. There's going to be a lot of Bible this morning. I hope you're okay with that. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Um, if, if it's if it's a digital version or paper version or otherwise, we'll also have everything that we read on the screen as well. So don't worry if you don't have something with you. But we'll be in the book of First Samuel. Um, and we're going to kind of walk through the beginning part of it. Um, we're going to end up in, in, in 1 Samuel 17, but we're going to kind of do some bits and pieces along the way. I think it's super, super, super interesting, um, and I think it'll be really um, valuable if we decide together as a church, church family today, we're going to open our hearts up, see what God has for us out of the book of 1 Samuel. So uh, I wanna, let, me, let me set it up this way. So in, in this time, and it, we're, we're pulling for Samuel, it's the Old Testament, right? So during this time, um, the way that God is governing his people, the way that people, the people of Israel, you could say, are governing themselves, are through a system of prophets and judges. If you've heard of maybe the book of Judges, that's kind of where some of that comes from. The way that God has chosen to govern his people is through this method. Um, no centralized power, no centralized government, no king, no monarchy, no president, no divine council, whatever that might be. He just says, will you, my people, listen for my voice? Will you, my people, listen for my voice and then be led by that, be guided and directed by my voice. So how things worked in the Old Testament is you would have a prophet who would come and they would speak on the behalf of God. Like I said, we'll be in the book of First Samuel where you can throw that picture up. Here's a little picture of Samuel. Here's what he looked like. He was a prophet of God. God would speak to Samuel. Samuel would go speak to the people. Um, that's how this worked. There weren't um, individuals seeking God um, and, and speaking to God individually yet at this point, right? God speaks to prophet who speaks to the people. Also, at that time, they had set up a, a sort of a, a governmenting strategy um, of judges. And essentially what judges were, um, and Rue, you can throw that next slide up here. 
What judges were um, is there are people, there are leaders, there are military leaders who are appointed in time of crisis or in times of war. So judges were not permanent. They were not established leaders for all time. They would come in in situations where we needed some like military guidance um, and they would come and take charge in that place. Now that's very different from a king. It's extremely different from a king. All the surrounding nations, the nations surrounding Israel were governed by kings. Like it says here, appointed in times of crisis or war, judges are, um, kings are hereditary and they're permanent. Once you're appointed a king, you stay king until you die and then you pass it on to the next person in your line, right? Um, the, like I said, there were military leaders. Um, kings were in total control of everything, not just the military, but absolutely everything in the nation. Lastly, chosen uh, leadership style appointed by God, the, the judges were. Um, chosen leadership style, the surrounding countries were the kings. So this is kind of what's happening. Now, what's, what's interesting here is you start to read some of these stories in the Old Testament. Judges were appointed in times of war. So judges, judges were appointed a lot. Judges were appointed a lot because the Israelites, God's people, were constantly under attack from the Amalekites, the Philistines, north, south, east, west, tribes, groups, countries attacking them at all times. So what's interesting that's happening here is the people of Israel are crying out to God. They're crying out uh, to the prophets who speak on behalf of God and say, you gotta appoint us a king. We need a king. We gotta have a king. We gotta have a king in place because we're scared and we're defenseless and we need protection and we just, we just need a king. And what's interesting is you read through the book of Samuel. Samuel's like, no, 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 you don't need a king. The God will, God will protect you. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Put your hope in him. And the people of Israel are, are, are just continually clamoring, yeah, 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 but we, we, we need a king. We need someone to protect us because we're under attack. We have all these, these, these different situations happening. We need a king to follow. The, and Samuel's saying, trust God. You don't need a king. Trust God. And the, the, the interesting thing that starts to happen here is Samuel caves a little bit. And even God in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, it's interesting, caves a little bit to the will of his people. They say, okay, you've decided that you want a king. We will appoint a king. So here's what happens. Um, who's heard of King Saul from the, from the Old Testament? Good. Some of us have, some of us haven't. Um, king Saul is kind of a, a well-known character in the Old Testament. He um, is appointed king at this time. Now, what's interesting here is the process by which Saul is selected to be that king. He comes from a, the line of Benjamin, so he, he comes from this esteemed line of people. He has a, 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 almost a holy or a set-apart heritage. He, the Bible also talks about how tall he is and handsome he is, which I think is interesting like, because you read that in the Bible and you're like, oh, he's tall and handsome. That's such an interesting fact that we get there. He's tall, he's handsome, he stands a head and shoulders above everybody else. He comes from this divine lineage, this holy lineage, the people of Benjamin, um, and he is appointed king. Um, something interesting um, that I want to read uh, with you today, 1 Samuel 10. Um, first thing we'll read is Samuel 10, verses 17 through 19. So it says this, Samuel summoned the people of Israel of the Lord at Mizpah, I think that's right. If not, we'll just move on. And said to him, uh, said to them, this is what the Lord God, sorry, what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint over us a king. So now present yourselves before the Lord, your tribes and clans. So God says, I said, no, you asked for one anyway. So here you go. I'm giving you your wish. Here's the king that I'm gonna appoint for you. Do you know Saul was late to his own coronation? Isn't that funny? Did you know that happened? I, I learned that three days ago. 
It's kind of one of those interesting things. Like, as you dive into the passage, I'm like, oh, I did not know this was a part of the story. Saul was late to his own coronation. The Bible says this in 1 Samuel 10, 21 and 22. So they, like I said, they selected Saul out of this line. They said, he's, he's tall, he's handsome. He comes from this great line, smart guy, well-trained, whatever, whatever, whatever. Here he is. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. So Saul's, cor Saul's coronation um, is happening and he's hiding in a, I don't know, a supply closet somewhere, unwilling to take it on. And, and, and I just imagine the scene where Samuel comes before the people. It's like, okay, you asked for it. Here he is. Has anyone seen Saul? And they asked God, he said, yeah, he's, he's hiding in the supply closet. So they go and they, and they get Saul and they bring him out in front of everyone, 1 Samuel 10, 24, Samuel says to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And you can almost hear the sarcasm in his voice as he says that. You asked for this. You wanted a king and here he is. He's cowering in a broom closet. This is the man you want to be the warrior that's gonna lead you and defend you and direct the military. So here he is. And the people say, long live the king. And, and Saul goes on to, to rule and to reign for decades over the kingdom of Israel. Um, and things go from kind of unshaky to bad to worse under Saul's reign. He's, he's disobedient. He leads from fear and uncertainty. Um, there's constant issues with him with, uh, hearing a word from the Lord and he chooses to disregard it and go his own way. Um, because why? He's a king and he's in charge. And when you have a king and when the people are looking to the king instead of to God, what the king says goes, not what God says. Do you see kind of the disconnect here? So as this progresses, um, we come to a really interesting and yet extremely familiar story um, in 1 Samuel 17. Um, so this is kind of where we're jumping to. And thank you for following me through basically the whole first half of, of 1 Samuel. So um, here's what happens. We get now to 1 Samuel 17, and, we're, and we, we come face to face with a really familiar story, David and Goliath. Anyone heard of the story of David and Goliath? So this is where this kind of comes in to the story. Um, and I want to read um, this passage together today. So like I said, this is 1 Samuel 17, where we will read verses 2 through 11. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, Elah, and drew their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from um, Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. If your Bible doesn't fill this in for you, the dude is nine, nine, nine foot, nine inches tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor and bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, which is 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. I don't know what that is, but it's probably big. And the iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Hilarious, hilarious sentence. Like they just described this guy, his armor weighs 125 pounds. He's nine foot nine. He's got a javelin slung over his back. The spearhead weighs 15 pounds and he has a shield bearer with him. <laughs> Why? <laughs> he's probably fine, right? But we go on, verse eight. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel. Why do you come and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, we will become your subjects. 
But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day, the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us, let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistine, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So God essentially has brought the, the, the Israelite army to face the Philistines with the promise that if you fight them, you will succeed because I have promised to protect you. I have promised to guard you. I have promised to defend you. I have promised to move your inheritance and your legacy on from you to your children and your children's children. We read those promises all over the Old Testament. But Saul and his army come to face the Philistines. Goliath comes out and they're all terrified, which is not entirely unforgivable. Like if there, if there was a human being in the room with a spear that was 9-9 nine, nine right now, I would be scared too. Like, let's be real. But the situation is that God has given this promise to his people, given this promise to Saul that I will guard and protect you. I will bring you through this battle. But they don't really fully believe that. Now, what's interesting here is in the middle of the story, we're introduced to this guy named David. Now, David um, is the son of a guy named Jesse, um, and he comes from a town called Bethlehem, which is a town we've talked about a little bit here at the Center Church over the last couple of weeks. Um, the interesting thing about David is he had, he's one of eight um, boys uh, that his father had. Um, and all of his older siblings, all of his older boys, are in Saul's army fighting with the Israelites. They're taking place in this war, um, but he stayed home. Why? Because he's really small, he's really weak, he's not old enough, um, and it's his job to stay home and take care of the sheep. What a, a noble task, yeah? Well, all your, your brothers are out serving in God's army, you're home and you're taking care of the animals on dad's farm. That's essentially what David's doing. One day, David's dad comes to him and he, he basically says this. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to take some food and you're gonna pack it up um, on an animal and you're gonna ride out to the, to, the, to the battlefront and you're gonna go and give some food to your brothers. So David goes, okay. He packs up and he heads over um, to where that fight is happening at that valley and he gets there and I like to picture a scene where he gets there and there's nobody around because everyone's hiding in their tents. Um, and he's like, hello guys, like anybody here? What's going on? He's come with this food. He's trying to give it to his brothers. And finally, he bumps into a guy, and we get this passage in the Bible, 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. Um, it says this, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done? Oh, let me back up. I'm sorry. Apologize. He gets there, doesn't see any, any Israelites fighting. And essentially, the first thing he hears is Goliath shouting. Like, who will come and like, who will come and fight me? I defy the armies of Israel. And he's just going off and spouting off. Goliath has come back every single day for 40 days to do just that. To say, what's going on? Let's fight. I want this to happen. Who's brave enough to come out and fight me? He's cursing the God of Israel. He's cursing Saul. He's cursing the armies um, of Israel. And he does this every day for 40 days. No one's brave enough to go out and fight him. David gets there and is talking to a man. Um, it doesn't identify the, the man specifically, but David, it says this, 1 Samuel 17, 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? You can hear the spite in his voice. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is indignant. David is furious. David is saying, what is going on? I'm, I'm a kid standing here, but 
I, I know that it's not right that he should be able to stand out there, defy the armies of the living God, make a mockery of the God that we serve, um, and be untested, unchallenged, un, un, unapproached. Um, in this situation. So essentially, David goes to Saul, and many of you know this, this story. He says, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. You won't. You're the king. Okay, you won't. You won't send any of your army to go do this. David goes, okay, I will. I will. And he's actually, the funny thing is he's called out by one of his brothers for being arrogant for saying that. He's like, who, who do you think you are? The funny thing is David actually gets it, though. He said, this is the army of the living God. We're good. We already won. God promised us this victory a long time ago. I'm not even worried about this. So David goes before Saul and says, I'll do it. I'll fight him. And Saul goes, um, you're too young and too weak. You're probably going to lose. Um, but then I think Saul kind of realizes like he's in a situation where like beggars can't be choosers, you know? So he goes, okay, David, you're, you're up. You're in. Um, so he goes and he places all of his armor upon David. And David's like, this is so heavy. I can't even move in this. I don't need this. Um, and a lot of you know the story. David goes and he, and he gets some stones in his sling um, that he uses to defend his sheep against wild animals. Um, and he goes before Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, this is the picture that we get. Goliath calls out to David and he says this. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. And I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Now, R-rated, the Bible is an action movie, okay? So just follow me through this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword, not by spear, that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. David gets it in the most incredible way. He just gets it. He said, it's not, it, it, it's not, it's not about sword or spear. Or it's not about how tall you are, how scary you are, or how small I am. He, he has full faith and full confidence that the Lord has already won the battle and that he will be delivered into the hands of the Israelite army. No fear in this young man, no fear. And the interesting thing is this. The interesting thing is this. I think there are so many times in our lives um, where it would be really cool to have that kind of faith. It would be really cool to have that kind of faith because I think if we're honest, um, we like to paint ourselves into biblical stories when we read them, right? If we kind of look at a story, we go, okay, that's me. That's, that's the character that I play and this is God and this is like my friend who betrayed me and this is my, this is my spouse and this is, you know, we kind of like to typecast into, into those stories. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make sometimes, one of the biggest mistakes that we make sometimes when we read the story of David and Goliath is we go, oh, I'm David. I get it. I'm David. And the giant is whatever obstacle I'm facing in my life. Could be a relationship, could be whatever it is, but I'm David. And God is just gonna, he's gonna, I'm gonna go out there and I'm just gonna slay my giants. And I think the funny thing is we're more often than not a lot more like the Israelite army and Saul cowering day after day after day in our tents, unable to move, unable to um, believe that God has won the victory for us. And we just kind of are stagnant in our fear and we don't do anything. You know, think back to Saul, the story we read earlier, Saul's being coronated as king. He's so afraid he's hiding. He doesn't even want the responsibility uh, of being king primarily because he thinks it's going to fall on his shoulders. 
David gets it because he, know it, he knows it doesn't fall on his shoulders. Now, if we were, this was 1 Samuel 17. The funny thing is if we go back one chapter as the, the situation with King Saul has gone from bad to worse, um, God and Samuel have put a, a plan in place to begin to replace Saul as king. They're saying, okay, this is a problem. It's time to appoint someone new. They actually go to the house of Jesse, to the house of David that we talked about a moment ago. Samuel stands before Jesse and he says, amazingly, Jesse, even though you're not from a royal heritage, you don't have a long line um, that is significant in any real way. God has said that the next king of Israel is gonna come from, from you, from your line. Let's meet your sons. So Jesse goes, okay, here's my, uh, here's my oldest, strongest, best-looking, hardest-working uh, guy. I'm sure this is, this is him. This is most definitely him. And Samuel's like, nah, I don't think that's the one. So Jesse goes, okay, here's my, my next oldest, next strongest, next best-looking, most awesome son. It's, it's definitely him. We go down the list of son after son after son after son. Samuel rejects all of them, and he says, is there anyone else? There's got, there's got to be someone else, because none, none of these are it. God's telling me none of these... These people are, are who we're looking for. And Jesse goes, well, there is David, but he's out back with the sheep and he's a teenager and that couldn't possibly be who you're looking for. And Samuel says, would you bring him before me? And Samuel comes out and he comes before Sam, or, or David comes out and he comes before Samuel and Samuel goes, this is, this is the one, this is the one. And that, that flies in the face of everything we even understand and know today, but not, not to mention everything they knew in biblical times. Because not strong, not a warrior, not from a, not from a great heritage, from a great line. Um, but God says, I will make you strong. I will make you a warrior. I will make your line great. And the interesting thing about all of that is I think it's to display the power, the goodness, the holiness, the mightiness of our God is that continually throughout the Bible, and I believe even today God chooses the least of these. He chooses those of us who are the weakest, those who have the, the least to offer, at least on the outside, to say, I'm gonna display my power and my glory through you, and I'm going to choose you to, to do my will, to, to, to bring um, the gospel to the nations. And that's exactly what happens to David. Now, interestingly, from the town of Bethlehem, young David, from his line would eventually come Jesus, the son of God. How amazing is that? I'm just thinking about the, the, the importance of biblical lineage and how over and over and over again in the Bible, it's the, it's the line. It's so-and-so, son of so-and-so, and that's where, they, that's where they gain their worth. It's so important who you come from in biblical times. David came from nobody. David came from nobody. But God says, I will make you great, I will make your name great, I'll make your line great, and then comes the Son of God from the line of David after that happens. But here's the thing, I think about that in terms of, of the new year, and I think about that in terms of the things that we like to see happen in our life as the, as the new year rolls around. And like I said, we make, we make these, these, these resolutions that we're gonna go and we're gonna do these things. The, the, the weird thing is I think we tend to act like that in our spiritual life as well, we say, man, this is the year. We're gonna see, we're gonna see so-and-so, uh, my cousin, finally come to know the Lord. Uh, finally, this person who is far from God, I, I believe like God's just, God's just gonna show up in the most powerful way in their lives. And that translates then into the way we pray. 
We hear people praying things like, God, when, when are you gonna show up? When are you gonna come and fix this? When are you gonna come and, and move and come and do this thing, that thing, or the other thing? And guys, I think, I think in the, rea- the reality of things is God is saying, I've already given you all the power and all the authority. I've given you the victory. I'm just waiting on you to go out and do it. So I, think, I can't help but think sometimes about those situations. And I've, I've prayed this in my own life. God, when are you, when are you gonna show yourself to, to my friends? When are you gonna show yourself to my friends who are far from you? I, I, have, I have friends, I went to a Christian high school. Um, I have friends that have been raised in the faith, that knew about Jesus, raised in church, and are, are so far from God uh, today that it, it breaks my heart. And I don't know what happened, I don't know what the disconnect was, but I know they're far from God now. And I know they're lost and they're hurting and they need the message of Jesus. But I'm, I'm so tempted to say, God, show up, do something, show yourself to them. And I can't help but feel like God's saying, when's the last time you called them? When's the last time you asked them out for coffee? When's the last time you actually sat down with someone? And maybe, maybe I'll even say this, not just say, hey, we'd love to see you in church one day, but said, hey, can I, sh- can I show you something in the word of God I was reading just the other day? I, I, I want you to know this Jesus that has meant so much to me in my life, that has completely changed my life. Can I, can I share that with you today? And I, I wanna just I'll put that as a challenge as we ask these two questions. And Rue, we can throw these up here. Ben, I, I'd love to have you come back because um, we're gonna sing again in a minute. And it's one of my favorite songs and I can't wait. So I want to ask these two questions in, in, in terms of what we were talking about. This, this is the question. These are questions I'm asking myself as well, by the way. I just feel like that's always necessary to say as I say these things from the platform. I'm asking myself these questions also. Are you willing to listen to the voice of God in 2020? Rather than listen to a leader, a political figure, a president, uh, um, a pastor even, are you really to decide for the year 2020 and hopefully beyond, uh, God, I'm gonna listen to your voice. I, I'm, I'm gonna wait on what you have to say. And where you say go, I, I wanna go there. And when you say go and talk to this person, I wanna go and talk to this person. When you say uh, give, um, I wanna give in the most generous way possible. I'm gonna choose to live um, by following the voice of God in 2020. The other question I wanna ask is, are you willing to take action in your faith in 2020? There's, again, there's nothing special about 2020, but it's almost here, so that's, that's just what we're talking about now. I mean, are you willing to actually go and do some of the things um, that God has called his people to do? Are you willing to go and to make, take action um, in some of the things that you wanna see happen in your own life instead of waiting for God to do it for you? Um, one quick question, or one quick uh, story, and then I'll, I'll be done, I promise. Um, in Acts um, we see the birth, um, the book of Acts in the New Testament, we see the birth of the first century church. Um, and I think one of the most interesting things that happens in all of that is the church doesn't explode until Jesus leaves. That's always been interesting to me. Jesus um, dies on the cross, he's raised again three days later, he comes back and appears before his followers, and then he breaks the terrible news to him that he's gonna have to leave again. And they're all horribly confused. They, they don't understand why that is or like why you're, you're back now. Don't leave, don't leave again. And what Jesus says, I think it was one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. He says, I have to leave because who's coming after me is even more important. 
And how could that be, right? How could, how could someone else be more important than Jesus? But what Jesus says is when I go, um, essentially what he says is I can send the Holy Spirit. We get this amazing picture in the book of Acts as, as um, after Jesus has left and God's people are waiting um, for what the Holy Spirit is. They don't even know what it, what it is or what it looks like or what it's going to mean. The Holy Spirit falls on them and the first century church has an explosion of new converts like they have never seen before. After Jesus is gone, after Jesus is gone, because believers, followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, which by the way, every single person in this room is, every single person in this room is, believers filled with the Spirit of God go out and they do something about their faith. They go out and they take action. They go out and preach the gospel to people in such a powerful way the Bible explains that they don't even know the languages that they're speaking in. They're just so overwhelmed with the spirit of God, they go out and tell everyone about it. And people are are coming to know Jesus and getting saved um, every single day. And I just think sometimes we lose track of that, that that spirit of God is living in every single one of us. So as we sit here and we pray, God, when are you gonna show up in so-and-so's life? God's saying, when are you gonna show up in so-and-so's life? When are you gonna show up? When are you gonna take action? And I just wanna grab onto that and run in 2020, you guys. And I, I, I just say that as, as a friend um, to many of you in this room, uh, that's what I wanna see for this church. That's what I wanna see um, as we move into the future. I, I wanna see a, a church family filled with people who have that kind of heart, a heart that burns for the people around them, a heart that makes this church not even be able to exist if not for the community that we're in. So I wanna pray over us and then we're gonna sing a song called Sea of Victory, which I'm extremely excited to sing. Like I said, it's my favorite song. So let's, could we pray together? Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can open your word, Father, and we can see uh, the story of how you've moved through um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of people just trying to know you and follow you to the best of their ability. God, I thank you that... Um, that your spirit is alive and well in each and every one of us today. God, I ask that you would continue to move, that you would empower us to be the people that you're calling us to be. God, help us not to be stagnant in our faith. Help us not to hide um, in fear of what may happen um, to us, but God, just live with abandon, uh, knowing that you've called us to such an incredible calling to reach the community around us. Heavenly Father, we thank you also for the victory and the battles that you've already won in our lives. Um, God, we thank you for the ways that we've seen you move, even just here in this church, even just over these Christmas services. Father, encountering people in a real and powerful way. Lord, we wanna see more of that. We wanna be a part of what you're doing here in Byron Center. So God, we pray all this in your holy and precious name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's.